Hello, JS Conf. Holy cow, there are so many of you. This is the biggest conference I've ever been to. And it is also, I'm embarrassed to say, this is my first JSConf, my JSConf EU. I kept trying to come, but I had like immigration issues and all sorts of stuff, and I made it just in time for the last one. So I'm extra specially thrilled to be here and be invited to speak. Uh, but before we get started, the way that I don't die of nervousness is I always take a speaker selfie but there's millions of you, so I'm gonna take a bunch. <laughs> Look happy, like you just heard the best talk of your life. <laughs> Amazing. All right, with that important business out of the way, hello everybody, I'm Laurie. Uh, I am the co one of the co-founders of NPM Inc. I'm currently the chief data officer there. Uh, but what I really am is a web developer making the web bigger and better and more accessible to everyone is what really drives me, and it's been driving me for 23 years now, which means sometimes I meet people who are younger than my web development career, which is weird. And today, I'm here to talk about JavaScript. I'm going to talk about who we are, I'm going to, the people who write JavaScript. Uh, I'm going to talk about where we use JavaScript, uh, and what we're doing with it today. And also, I'm going to talk about why, the forces that are driving us to the state that we're in right now. And then finally, I'm going to talk about what comes next, looking at current trends and guessing where they're going. The goal of this talk is to give you a sense of perspective uh, about the state of JavaScript as a whole and where you sit in it. So many developers work in a vacuum we don't know if the thing that we're doing is a best practice, or if it's a fad, or if it's this hopelessly out-of-date thing that nobody does anymore. Uh, so I'm hoping you'll leave this talk feeling good about one thing that you're using, knowing that it's a really good thing, with uh, feeling that you should move away from one thing that you're using, and also excited about learning one new thing that you hadn't heard about or you hadn't decided to get into before. But before I say all of that stuff, it's worth asking how I know. Uh, where did I get all of this information? We have three main sources for the stuff I'm about to present. The first is the NPM registry stats. Uh, the NPM registry contains amazing data about what JavaScript developers are up to and what they're using. Um, and we also did a survey. Our first annual survey got 16,000 responses, and our second got 33,000 responses. So we have an enormous amount of information of people just telling us what you're up to and why you're doing it. And I also supplemented and double-checked our numbers using the excellent State of JavaScript survey run by the community. And I also have one final surprise source, which is 10 years of JSConf EU talk proposals. Uh, 10 years, my goodness, that is so much work. Can we have another round of applause for 10 years? As part of the celebration of the 10th year of JSConf EU, the organizers asked me uh, to analyze the data. They gave me all of the titles and descriptions of all of the talks that have ever been submitted to JSConf EU, and they were like, can you find something interesting in this? And boy, did I find a lot of interesting things in this. 
First off, there are so many talks this year. The first JSConf EU had 44 talks submitted, and this year, there were 932. Uh, in 2016, there was no JSConf EU. They took a break. Uh, and in 2012, somebody had the bright idea of suggesting that people submit their talks as JSON, which was a goddamn nightmare to parse back out into text and sentences. So thank you to whoever's bright idea that was. Uh, the single most common phrase, I can walk, right? The single most common phrase in the last uh, 10 years has been, in this talk, we will. And the second most common phrase was, learn how to. And sometimes it was both. Uh, but there's something much more interesting, which is the JSConf EU hypometer. I wanted to track how popular various technologies were. But of course, since there are more talks every year, every single technology gets a, you know, mentioned more and more often, right? Like everything is going up and to the right. Uh, so instead, I measured how many talks contain a word as a percentage of all of the talks submitted. Uh, so this is an example one. It's of Node and NPM. Uh, as you can see, we're talking about Node much less than we used to. Uh, but we're talking about NPM about the same as much as we ever did. Uh, so all through this talk, I'm going to weave in the JSConf data. Uh, and we'll see how much what we're talking about lines up with the reality of what we're actually doing. But Laurie, I hear you say, you had a huge corpus of text. You could have built a Markov generator. You bet your ass I built a Markov generator. Here, for your pleasure, are some machine-generated titles based on all of the previous submissions to JSConf that you can use for your submissions to future conferences. Train your next-level JavaScript sequential arts. This is definitely going to be done by Jen Schiffer. Complex applications talk about tools for capitalism? I think it's possible that CJ Silverio has already written this talk. Distributed computing in the world of CSS and JS. It's possible they did this yesterday. I wasn't here yet. AMP for why you are being an eyebrow. Malta is going to handle this one. Serverless, a lisp? I don't know what this means, but I bet that somebody could talk for 25 minutes and persuade me that it's true. And finally, Go, Node, and JavaScript Crypto. I don't know what it is, but it's probably a bad idea. And I am looking forward to seeing all of these conference talks in future. And finally, before we dive in, just a couple of disclaimers. Some of what I'm presenting here are facts, and some of what I'm presenting here are opinions. And I've tried to be as clear as possible which is which and when I'm doing which one. So sometimes, you're going to see a graph that says that your favorite technology is getting less popular. And what I'm asking is that you don't get mad about that. Don't get mad about facts. I have so many opinions, so many terrible opinions that you can get mad about, but try not to get mad about the facts. I do not have a horse in this race. Apart from NPM, I am not a contributor to any of the technologies I'm discussing. I'm just presenting the facts. Secondly, a lot of what I'm talking about involves relative popularity of technologies. And I want to make clear that just because a technology is popular doesn't mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that it's the best technology. I don't even know what the best technology means. But for technology, popularity is useful in and of itself. 
if there are a lot of people using your technology, then there will be a lot of people helping find and fix bugs. There will be a lot of tutorials. There will be a lot of Stack Overflow questions answered for you. Uh, if you work with something popular, it often makes your work easier, regardless of how good it really is. And finally, I really love this stuff. I really love what I talk about. And I'm going to get very excited towards the end, so I'm probably going to swear like an absolute fucking sailor. And I have no intention of changing that or toning it down in any way. So just apologies in advance. So let's get started. Who are we, JavaScript developers? The answer is, at this point, we're pretty much like everybody else. Uh, we look, if you look at our demographics, we are the same age distribution, the same industry profile. We live in all of the same countries as all other software developers. And the reason for that is because we nearly are all software developers. We are 11 million developers now writing JavaScript every day. And those 11 million developers are using more open source software than any other language community. The NPM registry is now the largest repository of open source of any kind, by any measure, by number of modules, by lines of code, number of users, whatever you want to pick. It's more than twice as big as the next registry. In fact, you could fold all of the other registries into our registry if you wanted. But does having a really big registry of open source software translate to other kinds of activity? On GitHub, JavaScript is the biggest language by number of repositories, by number of issues, by number of lines of code, and it has been for seven years in a row. In Stack Overflow's huge developer survey of 80,000 people, JavaScript was the most popular language with 68% of all developers saying that they write JavaScript at least some of the time. Of course, you're all at a JavaScript conference so that you knew that JavaScript was popular already, but here is the truth. JavaScript is the most popular programming in the world, language in the world right now, and there are more developers than ever before, so JavaScript is really the most popular programming language there has ever been. And as JavaScript continues to grow, the JavaScript community is changing. One thing we noticed that's changed between our survey in 2018 and the, one that we, and the last one we did is that JavaScript developers are getting more experienced. They've been writing JavaScript for longer. We especially noticed this with NPM itself. A year ago, half of all NPM users were new, which is to say they'd been using NPM for less than two years. Uh, and this year, only about 36% of people are. Round about 2014 and 2015, there was a massive spike in the number of NPM users. Around about that time is when JavaScript, existing JavaScript developers sort of tuned into NPM, and the existing pool of JavaScript developers all sort of adopted NPM en masse. But today, the number of new NPM users and the number of new JavaScript users, they look about the same. Because basically, anybody who learns JavaScript in 2019 is learning NPM at the same time. Uh, so now we believe that about 99% of JavaScript developers are using NPM. And that's part of why NPM has so much information about what JavaScript developers are up to. This ever-growing pool of increasingly experienced JavaScript developers means that we've also seen a shift in what JavaScript developers care about. We knew from analyzing last year's data that more experienced developers care more about best practices. They do more testing. They use more linters and bundlers. They care more about security. And so now the whole community is getting more experienced. And so everybody is caring more about those sorts of things. 
Since last year's uh, survey, the number of people who said that they were concerned about the, open, the security of the open source modules that they use uh, has increased. In the last two years, NPM has added two-factor auth to help protect package publishers from account theft, as well as a security team and automation behind the scenes to de detect and flag malicious packages. But malicious packages are not really the good threat model. Accidental vulnerabilities are much, much more common. Uh, so last year, we introduced the NPM audit command, which will find and fix security vulnerabilities in your application by upgrading to more secure versions of the packages that are out there. We have performed 335 million security audits in the last 30 days. And if you think that your company should be doing more about security, you'll forgive me if I mention that we have a booth at this conference, and we have a product called NPM Enterprise, and it can help your company do more about JavaScript security than it's currently doing. And that brings us to our first visit to the hypometer. I said that we care more about security, so are we talking more about security? The answer is no. In fact, the thing that we talk about is performance. We talk about performance three times more than we talk about security. But if we care more about security, we should probably be talking more about it. Another aspect of our increasingly experienced user base is that people actually care what software license they use. That was a big surprise to me. I just like throw it in there without thinking about it. Uh, but 58% of developers say that the software license affects their, uh, their decision to use a piece of open source software. And of those people, 55% say that their company prevents them using certain open source software licenses. So that means that 29% of people overall can't use certain software licenses. Which software licenses? Well, the GPL and the AGPL are unpopular because of the restrictions that they place on uh, commercial use of software. But much bigger than that was unrecognized licenses. Basically, anybody who cares about software licenses has had to hire a lawyer to tell them which software licenses are OK. So if you use some software license that they've never heard of before, they have to hire the lawyer again. And they don't want to do that, so they just don't use your software. So, if you're licensing your software, please put a license on your software, and please pick a big popular license that people have heard of. And the final aspect of who we are that I want to touch on is a consequence of how ubiquitous JavaScript has become in 2019, which is that 25% of JavaScript developers say that JavaScript is not their primary language. JavaScript is so popular, it's become inescapable, which means that there are lots of JavaScript developers who aren't writing JavaScript by choice. They're writing it because they have to. And that is going to show up in a bunch of places in this data that I'm about to present. So what are these other languages that the non-primary JavaScript developers are writing? Well, top of the list is TypeScript. We're going to talk more about TypeScript in a bit. But there's also lots of Python and Java and C Sharp and C++ in there. A fun fact is that 12% of JavaScript developers don't write any other languages. They're just all JavaScript all the time. But 88% of us are writing JavaScript and some other language, at least one more. So now we've covered who we are. We are all over the world. We're every age and experience. We're increasingly sophisticated. We care more about licensing and security. Where are we writing all of this JavaScript? The answer is every goddamn place that you can imagine. So first, let's go to the hypometer. 
do people at JSConf talk more about front-end or back-end? Well, it turns out there's a battle going on. It's been up and down. But for the last three years, front-end has been winning. How does that stack up to the facts? Pretty well. 97% of JavaScript developers are writing code for browsers. 77% of JavaScript developers are also writing code for servers. So Node.js, still a big deal in the community. But there are two surprises in here. And the first is that 46% of JavaScript developers are writing native apps. I don't mean progressive web apps. I don't mean like a shortcut to a web app that you put on your home screen. I mean they're compiling it down to some other thing, and it's running natively on a desktop, or it's running natively on a phone. And 13% of us are writing embedded applications, stuff that runs on handsets or watches or you know, stuff that you wear. So let's dig more into all of these numbers. First off, when people write for browsers, do they target the mobile web or do they target the desktop web? Well, the overwhelming majority of us target both. But despite all our talk about mobile first, only 2% of us target exclusively mobile. But 27% of us are getting away without thinking about the mobile web at all, which is probably legitimate. There are probably a bunch of web apps that are just never going to run on a phone, and that's fine. But now let's talk about native apps. 46% of JavaScript developers are writing native apps. As you can see, the biggest group is mobile developers. 35% of us are writing uh, native mobile apps, and 26% of us are writing native desktop apps. And a big chunk of us are doing both. So what are we using to do that? First, let's look at the desktop developers. 26% of, of developers say they write native desktop apps, but here we have a bit of a puzzle. You've all probably heard of Electron. Electron is a popular way of writing native desktop apps, but only 21% of us say that we use it, which means that there's 5% of us who are writing native desktop applications in JavaScript, and they're using something other than Electron. I don't know what it is. Uh, that 21% of Electron users is down from 24% of users. So not only is it that we're not using Electron, we're using less Electron than before. So where are they going? Let's swing by the hypometer uh, and ask it about Electron. Sure enough, the hypometer says that interest in Electron peaked around 2017 and has been going down since then. So what is up? Somebody needs to tell me. If you know what it is that they're doing, please come and talk to me after this. And now let's look at native app developer, mobile app developers. I measured the popularity of a bunch of frameworks. Don't pay too much attention to how I measured it. Uh, the green line is all native app frameworks. So native development has been staying pretty much as popular as before, but the tools have fragmented. Uh, the most popular framework that I can find is React Native, which is that red line. Uh, and then there's Cordova, which is the line in yellow. It used to be the only game in town for native mobile apps, uh, but now it's just a little bit less popular than React Native. Extrapolating from our data, between 13% and 19% of NPM developers are using Cordova, and about 19% uh, are using React Native. And those two add up to about the 35% of us who are writing uh, native mobile apps. But if you're using some other framework, I want to know. The final where question that I want to answer is about server-side apps. Where are we deploying them? Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, Docker and Kubernetes are everybody's jam these days. They are the dominant way that we deploy. Uh, deployment platforms like Heroku and Netlify, stuff like that, they're also super popular. Uh, VMs are surprisingly unpopular for what I used to consider to be the default way of deploying software. Uh, 
but the real number here is serverless. 33% of us are deploying on serverless platforms. That is not some you know, early adopter shit anymore. That is some mainstream technology. Uh, and it's part of a broader trend in deploying that I'm going to touch on later. Uh, but let's check out the hypometer. Uh, I decided to look at serverless, microservices, and Docker. Uh, microservices is that line in red. You can see that we've sort of stopped talking about it. Docker came strong out of the gate in 2015, uh, but it has slowed down recently. Uh, but serverless is on the up and up. That's the blue line. Um, but isn't serverless just like a microservice that somebody else is running for you? I mean, I don't know. Anyway, that brings us to the end of where. Now let's talk about what. Uh, what are we doing uh, with all of this stuff? Uh, I'm going to try and keep this section also as factual as possible uh, and keep my opinions out of it. To measure this stuff, I use a metric called share of registry. I used it in that graph a little while ago. It's a very useful metric, but it's also kind of a confusing metric, so I'm going to explain it a bit. This is a graph of the weekly downloads from the NPM registry. We do nearly 12 billion downloads every single week, and that has grown by 25,000% since 2014. And this presents something of a problem if you're trying to measure how popular something is using just download numbers, because download numbers always go up. Here is a graph of downloads of some major front-end frameworks, and they're all growing pretty fast in absolute terms. In fact, Everything in the registry grows super fast. Even the shittiest package in the registry is constantly acquiring new users because there's just so many people showing up all the time and going, I don't know what I'm going to use. I'm going to use evil packet JS. This is great. Uh, so absolute growth won't work. Uh, so just like with the JSConf submissions, uh, we're using relative popularity. We use the percentage of downloads of a package as a percentage of all of the downloads. And that is what we call a share of registry. So here is the same graph again using the share of registry metric instead. Suddenly, what's going on is a lot more clear. Some stuff is going up. Some stuff is staying flat. Some stuff is going down. But it's important to remember that going down is not actually declining. It just means that it's going up more slowly. Staying flat on this graph means that you grew 25,000%. And if you're going up on this graph, it means that you are growing faster than 25,000%. So going up is growing incredibly fast. So now let's talk about these frameworks. The story of front-end frameworks in 2019 is pretty simple, and it is that React has conquered the web. React has more than four times as many downloads as the next most popular framework. There has never been a framework anything like this popular. And part of the reason for that is that it's not just a front-end framework. In fact, it's not even a front-end framework. Uh, React is just a component model, and that component model is used in web apps, but also in React native apps, and also in desktop apps. Uh, and this is just the downloads data. Uh, what about the survey where we asked actual people? Uh, in our survey, 63% of JavaScript developers say that they are using React. Um, but using is a vague term, right? Like, it could be anything. So we asked a more specific question, and 57% of people say that they write React themselves. 6% say they use React written by other people. 
But more interestingly, 15% of us say that we don't use React yet, but we are considering it. So React, already a ridiculously dominant framework, still has room to grow, apparently. Uh, although the share of registry ap appears to be slowing down, so we don't know what, yet which one of those things is going to happen. To dig even further, we ask people how much they write React. Uh, inside the 57% of people who write React, 49% say they primarily write React, uh, and, uh, which means 26% of all NPM users are primarily building React. Uh, and if you add in the people who write it only sometimes, that means that 47%, nearly half of all JavaScript developers, are writing React some or most of the time. There has never been a framework of which that is true. That is a strange and new situation for JavaScript to be in. Moving on to the other frameworks, last year I got into some trouble because I took Angular version 1 and Angular version 2 onwards, and I treated them as a single framework called Angular, and I was strenuously informed that that is incorrect. Uh, Angular version 1 is called AngularJS now. Angular version 2 onwards is, also, is a totally different framework, completely unrelated to the first one, also called Angular, which I still think is kind of confusing. Uh, but as you can see, AngularJS has been in decline since 2016, and Angular 2 Plus has been in decline since 2017. But it's important to keep in mind that this is relative popularity. In absolute terms, both of these frameworks are still growing up. Both of these frameworks have more users than they've ever had before. Angular is extremely popular. 37% of NPM users say they use some flavor of Angular. 29% of NPM users say that they use the current version of Angular. That means that there's probably about 3 million people using Angular, which is definitely nothing to sneeze at, and Angular is not going anywhere. Let's look at one more framework of note, which is Vue. Vue is the only major framework other than React showing strong positive growth, but it is very positive growth. Its share of registry has doubled in the last two years, uh, which means that its downloads grew 10x in that time. Uh, and our survey data backs this up. 27% of NPM users say that they use Vue, and that's up from 24% last year, which means that almost as many people use Vue as use the current version of Angular. So let's swing by the hypometer and see what they had to say about front-end frameworks. Unsurprisingly, in 2009, everybody was talking about Dojo and jQuery, but we don't talk about those things anymore. Uh, Angular, Ember, and React's trajectories, you can see them. Uh, they all match pretty well to their share of registry, which is nice. Uh, Angular's decline starts in 2015. That's in red. Ember is pretty flat in yellow. Uh, and React in blue is continuing to grow, just like it is in the registry data. One thing I haven't talked about in terms of front-end frameworks is web components. Uh, and part of that is web components are built into browsers, so there's no share of registry to track, right? Like, nobody's downloading them. Um, but the other reason is they just don't seem to be very popular. Um, we didn't ask about them in NPM survey, which is embarrassing, uh, but the state of JS people did. Um, they, they allowed people to volunteer if they used web components, but less than 1% of people did. Um, so I'm not ignoring web components, they just don't I don't have very good data about them. The people who build web components in browsers, they tell me that web components are a lot more popular than I think they are, but of course they would say that. So moving from the front end to the back end, there has been a real revolution. 
previously, if I was talking about backend uh, frameworks, I'd have talked about stuff like Sales and Ember and Happy. Uh, and those things are still around, and they still have pretty much flat growth, which is to say 25,000% growth. They're not going anywhere. Um, but everybody's writing rich front-end apps, uh, and frameworks like those that produce static views are just not as useful for that use case anymore. So instead, what's happened uh, is front-end framework enthusiasts realized that they needed to deliver pre-rendered HTML for performance reasons, and they called it server-side rendering, or SSR. And they invented stuff to do that, which is to say they invented backends. So now the front-end frameworks are all also backend frameworks, uh, collections of servers and routers that make it easy to build a full server using your favorite framework. And I don't know what about you, but the idea that I can just write components and then throw them into an existing framework and not have to, that does all of the serving and the parsing and all of that pain in the ass stuff for me, that's great, but it's also super familiar. I'm pretty sure that's how PHP used to work. Uh, someday soon, somebody is going to tell me that I can just FTP my React components onto a server, and then the circle will be complete. Before I talk about these SSR frameworks, uh, it's important to note that they are all still pretty small. Here, for comparison, is Express. Express is a goddamn monster of a package. It used to be 1.5% of the registry all by itself, and it is still enormous. All of the other frameworks that I'm about to talk about are that flat line at the bottom of the graph that you can barely see. But when you take Express out of the picture, something very interesting is happening. Uh, at the top of our list is Gatsby. It uses React, and it provides a whole set of tools for hooking it up to backends and deploying it. Gatsby snuck up on us. We didn't ask about it at all last year. And when we asked about it this year, 8% of people were using it. So clearly, we should have been paying attention sooner. Um, for comparison, frameworks that I used to talk about, like Sales and Ember and Happy, they're all around the 4%, 5% area. So Gatsby is bigger than those now. It is huge, and it's real. Uh, and it is growing like gangbusters. The other frameworks that I want to talk about are a trio of backend frameworks which all have nearly the same name in a way that is not irritating and confusing at all. First up is Next.js, which is another React-based backend framework. Our survey respondents were very big on Next.js. About 9% of them said that they use it. Uh, Share of Registry is giving Gatsby the edge at the moment, though, but clearly they're both very popular. And then there's Nuxt.js with a U, which is very much like Next.js, except it's for Vue instead of React. 5% of the devs in our survey said that they were using it. And then there's Nest.js with an S, which is like Next.js, except it's for Angular. Uh, I know very little, bit about, very little about it. I didn't ask about it in our survey, but extrapolating from the data, about 2% of people are using Nest.js, and it's also showing pretty healthy growth. But what about the hype? Let's go to the hypometer. Well, it's super frustrating, because next is just a word. People say next all the time. They don't mean the framework. And nest shows up all the time, because people talk about nested loop and nested code. So I couldn't search for that either. So this is just a graph of Gatsby, and it's super hype. <laughs> Only four people ever have submitted talks about Nuxt. Closely related to these front-end frameworks, which are now backend frameworks, is GraphQL, which is the hot new way of building an API to power all of this stuff. As you can see, GraphQL's core library and two of its most popular client libraries are all growing off the charts super fast. 
uh, in share of registry, and that climb is reflected in the survey data. 22% of our respondents say that they are using GraphQL, but 49% say that they are considering using GraphQL, which is an enormous number. It means that 2019 is going to be the year of GraphQL when everybody gets on board the train. And the final set of trend data that we're going to look at is the hottest trend of all, which is not writing JavaScript anymore. Remember all those non-primary JavaScript developers that I was talking about? Especially the ones coming from typed languages like Java and C Sharp and C++? This is how their influence is showing up. The biggest part of this trend is TypeScript. Last year, we were caught by surprise when 49% of people said, uh, sorry, 46% of people said that they use TypeScript. And this year, that number is up to 63%. But what does using mean? Do you really mean you're using it? Are you writing it? What are you doing with it exactly? We asked in more detail. It turns out 15% of people are just using things that are written in TypeScript. And the main culprit there is Angular. Angular is written in TypeScript. So everybody who uses Angular reports themselves as a TypeScript user. Uh, in fact, React and Ember both have TypeScript in them now, so the only major framework that doesn't have some TypeScript in it is Vue. But even if you say that you write TypeScript, do you mean you write it all the time or just to try it out? Are you using it, you know, are you a TypeScript dev or are you just a TypeScript dabbler? Uh, within TypeScript developers, 52% of them primarily write TypeScript, which means, and another 34% are writing TypeScript some of the time, which means that overall, 36% of NPM users are writing TypeScript most or all of the time, which is a tremendous change. A third of JavaScript users don't write JavaScript anymore. That's amazing. Incidentally, one of the features of TypeScript is that it has these type definition files, and those type definition files are hosted on the registry uh, under the type scope. And the last time I checked, 2.5% uh, of all registry downloads are type definitions. The most downloaded, uh, they're mostly downloaded automatically by VS Code. So we should probably have a chat with Microsoft about that. But what about the hype? The hype is doing fine. Uh, for fun, I threw in CoffeeScript, which is the last time somebody tried to replace JavaScript with something that looked kind of like JavaScript. Uh, we don't talk about CoffeeScript anymore. The other part of the not writing JavaScript trend is WebAssembly. Jen Schiffer is giving a talk later today, but the basic idea is that WebAssembly is a technology that lets you take any compiled language and run it on the web at near native speeds. Uh, there's two things people find interesting about that. The first is the speed, and the second is, but the people who write WebAssembly say that that is less interesting than the second part, which is the ability to use existing code written in other languages directly on the web. To me, one of the most exciting features of WebAssembly is that you can write modules for it and publish them to the NPM registry and install them into your app and just use them seamlessly without knowing that they're there. And the way that I know you can do that is it already happened. Our stats say that WebAssembly is still very new. Only about 3% of, of people say they use it, but that's 300,000 people. Uh, and only 0.06% of the packages in the registry are WASM, but that's 600 packages, some of which are very cool. Uh, but the big number for WebAssembly is 54%. That is how many people say that they are considering using it, which means that the interest in WebAssembly is enormous. So now we know who we are and what we're using, and those facts together can point us towards some explanations as to why. This is where I switch from facts to analysis, which is to say opinions, which is to say I am wrong. But before I do that, I need to split the room up into two teams. Everybody on this side of the room is Team A. Everybody on this side of the room is Team B. Let me hear it from Team A. 
Team B. Team A. Team B. Great. I'm not using that for anything. It was just to wake you up after 30 minutes of graphs. The first question to answer is, why is JavaScript the most popular programming language? I think we can discard the idea that it's the best designed programming language. One answer is the NPM registry. A guy called Leo Mayerovich did a study in which he researched why people use programming languages. Is it because of the features or the speed or because their boss forced them to? And the number one reason was the existence of open source libraries in that language. If there's a library that helps you get the job done, you adopt the language of the library. And because there are so many libraries in, it, in JavaScript already, it keeps sucking people in. Uh, once about every 15 minutes, somebody sends me this picture thinking that it's super hilarious and I won't have seen it before, but it's not a bad metaphor. Every time somebody adds another, another package to the pile, it increases the gravity well, another developer gets sucked in, and that developer increases the pull even further. And this has created a new type of JavaScript developer, the reluctant JavaScripter. They were once a really small group, but now they're a quarter or possibly even more of the JavaScript developer population. They don't write JavaScript because they like it. They write JavaScript because they have to. And that's bad. That's bad for them because they hate it. And it's bad for us because people who hate JavaScript won't write it well. Why are we forcing people to write JavaScript? This happened one time before. Uh, a few years ago, Ruby developers found themselves sucked into the JavaScript world, and they fucking hated it. They hate JavaScript, and they keep telling me that they hate it in the, in the survey results. Uh, and some of them attempted to solve that problem by inventing CoffeeScript. Um, but the Ruby folks mostly won, even though we don't use CoffeeScript anymore. JavaScript is full of features that we used to have in, in Ruby. Uh, and TypeScript is something like that pattern. Remember all of those non-primary JavaScript developers? A bunch of people from typed languages, in particular from Java and C Sharp, they miss the types. And so TypeScript is giving them the types back. That's what they like about it. Uh, and given, TypeScript's po given the popularity of types and TypeScript and Microsoft's backing in particular, it is unlikely to go anywhere. In our survey, 17% of people who had heard of WebAssembly said part of why they were interested in WebAssembly is that it meant that they wouldn't have to write JavaScript anymore. Uh, WebAssembly frees developers from JavaScript, and the result will be that a lot of people will stop writing JavaScript. But that is not something to be worried about. First, not everybody is going to stop just the folks who hated writing it. And second, when people writing WebAssembly are looking for a way to share code, the NPM registry is the natural way for them to do that. WebAssembly will make JavaScript stronger by giving it access to the best libraries from every other language, which is a tremendously exciting idea. The next question worth touching on is what the hell is going on with React? Part of the explanation is that React isn't a full web framework. It has no opinions about routing uh, or data models like other frameworks do. So as data models and routing models change, it means that people can keep using their React components as they shift and go and, and change within that group. It's just a component model, and it creates truly reusable, useful components. These are two examples that I particularly like, uh, a color picker and a date picker. I fucking hate implementing both of those, and I can just NPM install them now. Oh my god, that's so great. That has been the dream for 20 years. Uh, 
Other projects provide libraries of excellent pre-built components. This is one that does it for uh, Google's Material UI. Uh, Reach UI is an excellent start on uh, making React components more accessible. But React can go even further now with React hooks, which are a way of handling state that you can just NPM install into your application. Uh, React Use is a library that gives you a whole bunch of really cool stuff without having to, that uses the web APIs without you having to write a bunch of code. You can just import it and start using it in your React app. This suggests an enticing future where we can build web apps at a new and higher level of abstraction. We won't have to think too hard about the server. We can just put existing components together instead of building them from scratch for each project. And each new component that we add to the pile of React components will create the same feedback loop as NPM itself. The more components there are, the stronger the gravity well, and the more developers there will be in that community. This could make React an unstoppable force that changes web development forever. But it's not guaranteed. React's growth seems to be slowing down, and Vue is showing strong growth. So is Vue the future? Will React decline and fade like every JavaScript framework ever before? In the next couple of years, we get to find out. But meanwhile, React's dominance on the front end has totally changed the back end. As I showed earlier, frameworks that enable server-side rendering of React apps are now more popular than traditional back-end frameworks. Instead of writing code for client and server, we just write code for the client, and we get the server to deal with it and figure it out. Is that a good idea? Is building all web apps as rich front-end apps and then getting the server to do the work a good idea? I don't know, but it's certainly a popular idea, and popularity is its own momentum. At least one browser maker is already working on specific optimizations to make React apps faster at the browser level. Last year, I made the, I made the case that React components should become part of the web API, and I stand by that. So let's take all of these trends analysis and weave them together. And let's make some guesses about the future. So I'm going to go from slightly wrong to completely wrong. The first is a future I don't have to guess about, which is NPX, NPM Tink. Kat will be giving a talk about it later. It's a tremendously exciting thing that I don't have time to demo. Dan Abramov tweeted this, in a few, uh, tweeted this a few days ago, and it was just perfect because it's exactly where all of this looks like it might be going. Imagine a world where you can build a web app without needing to know all the details of how all of your components work. People hate on VB6, but VB6 was at one point the world's most popular programming language, and that's us now. VB6 unlocked and created a whole generation of programmers by reducing the barrier to entry. Think how many more people could get involved if you could build a real, useful web app by just dragging and dropping open source components into your application. This wouldn't make your job obsolete. We would still need everyone in this room to be writing components, but we would need a room 10 times this size to hold all the people who would be using those components. A whole new level of abstraction, a whole new kind of web developer. That is a tremendously exciting idea. And then you add to that mix WebAssembly, which is still early days right now, but you could bring every useful library from every other language into the JavaScript world and make them all interoperable with no performance hit. Suddenly, not only is it easier to build apps, but what you can build is vastly expanded. And the last piece of the puzzle is all those native app developers. Already nearly half of us 
take highly performant, rich web apps and suddenly don't just run them on the browser, run them on your phone, run them on your shoes, run them on your VR headset, wherever. JavaScript running everywhere, absorbing every language into a unified world of open source components built by an ever-expanding and increasingly diverse community of developers. There's no guarantee that will happen, but I can imagine a world where it does. And after 23 years of watching the web grow, no time has ever been more exciting than right now. And you, my friends and colleagues, are perfectly placed. You are in the right place at the right time to participate in that. The web is an amazing force for good and evil. It is a toy, and it's a tool, it's a playground, and it's a marketplace. It is alternately amazing and terrifying in the power that it gives us. We can do so much good and so much harm. But I choose to believe that in the long run, we will collectively decide to do more things that help the world than hurt it. We've all made mistakes that hurt the world. I know that I have. But I believe that in the course of time, our good decisions will outweigh our mistakes, and the web will grow forever. I hope what I've shared with you today has helped you see where you are and what you're doing, and it's hoped it's helped, I hope it's helped motivate you and made you curious, and I hope you all have a fantastic JSConf, and thank you all so much for your time and attention.